Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. New coronavirus hotspots are emerging across the country beyond the epicenter of New York City. Hotspots like Detroit, like Chicago, like New Orleans, that will have a worse week next week than what they had this week. People in cities and towns across the country are facing spiking case numbers, overloaded healthcare systems, and clearly turning to their elected officials for leadership. That has put governors across this country in the spotlight, forcing them to make some very tough choices in many places, and not always with all of the help from the federal government that they're seeking, as President Trump addressed last night when he needled some Democratic governors. Governor Inslee, he should be doing more. He shouldn't be relying on the federal government. And your governor of Michigan, I mean, she's not stepping up. I don't know if she knows what's going on, but all she does is sit there and blame the federal government. So with all this going on, what is it like to be leading a state during a crisis like this? What actually goes into the decision-making process when you're often facing competing pressures? To break that down, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone from his home in Westerville, Ohio, CNN senior political commentator and former Ohio governor, John Kasich. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Good to be with you, David. So I really was eager to chat with you because I want to go inside somebody who's been in the seat of decision-making authority and power, a chief executive at a moment of, uh, if not full-on crisis, but but where you are managing uh, a massive effort. And I, and I, I guess I just want to start and get a sense from you. What is it that, uh, that you, uh, did as governor in a moment like this in terms of bringing together all the information you need and, uh, putting together the kind of communication plan to the public, uh, to make sure all the information gets out that they need? What goes into that kind of a process in a crisis moment like this? It would depend what it what it is. Like we had a water crisis where the citizens of Toledo couldn't get water for a significant period of time. We had a threatened Ebola crisis. I remember that day. It was uh, very different to, to hear that news. And uh, maybe that's the one to focus on. So the first thing that I did was to gather all of the folks who would be helping me to carry out uh, a plan that we were in the process of putting together, um, made sure that we contacted everybody who could potentially be involved, whether it was hospitals, doctors, nurses, uh, EMS. We just reached out across to everybody and also communicated with the CDC. Uh, it was interesting because at the time, we needed the CDC to come to Ohio and help us, and uh, they couldn't figure out how to get to Columbus, Ohio, from Atlanta, Georgia. It was very bizarre. So we actually chartered a plane and brought them to Ohio, um, and then they were they were fantastic the rest of the time. But you always have to be wary of of these bureaucracies and what can get in the way. Uh, the other thing that that was most important um, in any of these things, we had a you know big heat wave and power was knocked out and we had senior citizens who were in these high-rise buildings with no electricity, no, no, of course, no air conditioning. And so I had to mobilize the National Guard and others to go and check to make sure that they were okay. What you do in these circumstances for me is you really don't care about politics. It never was an issue for me. Um, you take a look at the problem and you think of it like you would think about your own family. How would I treat my my daughters? How would I treat my wife? How would I treat my close relatives and friends? 
And whatever that answer was, that's what I did for everybody else. And whether people were going to complain, whether they were going to, you know, my poll numbers were going to go down, or it, it just was of no interest to me whatsoever. Because at that point in time, I kept, as my wife once told me, John, you're the father of Ohio. Don't ever forget it. And so um, you, you stay calm. You communicate. You have your press conferences. Uh, you have your healthcare people there, or whoever it is that would be, uh, you know, important in terms of in terms of what was uh, what the particular crisis was. Uh, and what the other thing that I think is very important. Uh, particularly in a almost almost a black swan event like we have now. And remember, this is not quite black swan because people have been warning about this. Dave, David, uh, Michael Osterholm had been writing a book about this in 2005, but it has right. flipped everything upside down. And what you want to make sure is that you're able to examine your whole complex system to look for weaknesses. So that's where your cabinet comes in. That's when you say, okay, what is it that we're not doing? What is it that is brittle? What is it that we need to plan uh, to fix? Uh, and I don't, want, I don't want any nonsense here. Don't tell me what I want to hear. I don't want to read about these problems in a newspaper. Just tell me. I'm not going to be mad at you if you tell me. And, um, and that's kind of the way we dealt with each and every one. How much of a danger is that notion of people – I listen, you're a governor. You're a big deal or the president or any of these governors across the nation dealing with this – I know they are they are surrounded by people who want to please the boss. So so when you say don't tell me just what I want to hear, did did your team uh, respond to that? Because it, to me, that seems like such a part of the culture is that uh, a lot of these uh, politicians are, are surrounded by people who are there to to make sure that the the boss is happy with what they're hearing. Well, if you're making the boss happy and something gets screwed up, the boss will be very unhappy. And fortunately, the, I mean, I, I've got to say, and I think the proof's in the pudding, uh, the people that were around me were not afraid to tell me what, you know, when there was a problem or what the problem was. And maybe sometimes when somebody didn't have the courage to tell me something, somebody else would step up and do it. Uh, and then sometimes you have to use your own judgment. For example, we had a terrible accident, and this is different than what we're, we're facing now, but a terrible accident at our state fair where a ride had broken and people were badly injured and some lost their lives. And the staff was like, you don't need to be down here. And I said, nope, I'm, a, I'm in the car. I'm coming right now. Sometimes you have to use your own judgment. But in regard to this problem that we have right now, this event that's happening at, at the present time, I really believe that a governor has to have that important staff. They're not part of the cabinet. They, they surround the governor. They're the chief of staff and, and special assistants to the governor. And you form a, small, a close group. It's a closely held group. And you talk honestly. But then I think it's important to bring the whole cabinet in. And the cabinet has to walk, work across boundaries. You know, there's a, there's a tendency for, uh, for people to want to kind of protect their own turf. We didn't put up with that, honestly. We just said, no, it, I, if I've got to involve three or four different departments and we're going to share, that's what we're going to do to get through this, like we did with the threat of Ebola. So, um, yeah, you just got to be very firm about it. And, um, you know, so I think right now governors need to be talking to one another. I believe that that whole um, uh, task force in Washington 
should be a place where governors could go to get a straight answer. First of all, governors are supposed to be doing a lot of this work, and they are doing a lot of this work. The federal government's not supposed to be out there buying vast amounts of items and then shipping. You know, we're not a shipping clerk. Uh, we'll help out, and we'll help out wherever we can. But this is really for the local governments, governors, and people within the state, depending on the way they divide it up. They can uh, remove bureaucracy. I think a governor has to work very carefully with the cabinet to find out where the weaknesses are. You see, with unemployment now, you know, do you have enough people that can file? Can they get in? Does your computer system work? But that list will go on and on and on and on. You need to communicate. But don't make promises you can't keep, or you don't have to get into being a fortune teller about what's going to happen down the road. Yeah, you right. give people hope, that kind of stuff. Well, let me... So, a couple of questions. I'll get to the communicate in a moment. I, I do want to ask... I'm sure you faced a lot of uh, choices like this, but but speak to this current moment about when competing pressures come in, such as we see, uh, you know, the economy and the public health aspect of this. And you see, you know, the president setting that goal of raring back everyone to work and the country's going to go raring back on Easter Sunday. We have to open up. The people want to get back to work. They want to get back. That's the you way know, we're I, engineered. There is not a health expert I have found yet that says that that is a likely outcome given the data right now. Well, I think that the president was trying to do, he was making an aspirational uh, projection to give people some hope. But he's listening to us when we say we really got to reevaluate it in real time. And any decision we make has to be based on the data. When you when you have sort of these and I, they don't necessarily, I guess, have to be competing, but at the moment they seem to be these competing interests of trying to find a way to get the economy turned back on while also battling the the public health crisis. How, t- walk me through how you approach something like that. To me, the priority is pretty simple. Uh, you have to listen to the health experts in the middle of this kind of a this kind of a crisis. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have an eye a little bit farther or have somebody around you who has an eye on, okay, at what point is it become appropriate to uh, to be able to kind of open things up? Now, you know, it doesn't have to be competing, but you also can't pay attention to pressure who may call you up. People, you know, company call you up, start trying to yell at you. They didn't do that with me because I just wouldn't put up with it. But, I mean, I think you can, in fact, protect the public health with an eye towards inevitably, at some point in time, being able to open uh, pieces of this economy. Uh, But to me, if I were in charge, I would not put one before the other. I would make sure that we have the data. I mean, you know, the numbers that you showed when you have a situation when the cases today compared to tomorrow is increased dramatically, and then the next day is increased dramatically, that's no time to pull back. That's when you got to hunker down, nail down, mitigate, 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 get the people taken care of. That's what you got to concentrate on. You have to go with the data. We just simply do not know enough about this. And every day, you know, it seems almost like every day is a century. We learn so many more things. We learn more things about this virus. And as we learn more, we're going to learn how to cope with it and ultimately defeat it. And so at this point, to be you know, worrying about exactly when this economy is going to open up, to me, is not the right priority. That does not mean, right. and I can tell you that in many conversations I've had with 
but health experts and some people who are sort of quite, quote, health and business leaders, you got to, I think that we have a lot of very good health people who are not in a silo. They don't just think about their health, their, you know, the health situation, but they also know that at some point, you know, that the economy has got to get going for reasons of being able to help people as well. But they're not siloed from one another. Uh, they're aware of the challenges. But first and foremost right now is public health. It's gathering the data. It's understanding exactly where we are. And that will allow us to come up with a reasonable plan for being able to reopen uh, the chunks of this economy, which, which is obviously very important. But public health, first and foremost right now. So the other part of your expertise that I love to tap is your years in the House and, uh, I, you know, watching Congress put together the largest stimulus bill in American history of nearly $2 trillion. As that money is about to flow out the door, how does how does the government uh, possibly try to put systems in place that make sure that gov- that money gets out wisely and in the targeted fashion that does the most benefit because it's so huge. It seems it's just fraught with the opportunity for waste and abuse and things like that. Yeah, I would say that there'd be there'd be a couple things that you would do. I mean, in a normal circumstance, you would have officials from the Treasury Department and also from the various uh, operations of government that will be in charge of of making sure this this it can be a smooth transition. And I also believe it's really important you pick the best and the brightest for congressional oversight. For the funds that would be released in that process, uh, that there would be an, an inspector general uh, to oversee, have oversight over that process. And in addition to that, a five-person panel of Cong- that Congress appoints uh, to oversee how that money goes out as well. Uh, This is absolutely essential. Now, you know, normally it could go by committees, but at a time like this, I don't think there would be anything wrong with a a Senate majority leader, a a speaker of the House, uh, and their their component, you know, and and the people who are not in the majority, whatever, uh, to be able to pick a group to make sure that that they're kind of overlooking this. I'm, I'm sorry, they're not overlooking it, that they're looking at it all the time, that the, that this is not just something that we wake up one day and say, how did we end up doing that? So it's got to be honest communication. I would say probably the, the focal point would be the Treasury Department, a select committee of the Congress to do oversight uh, with the other committees involved as well. Now, that'll be a challenge when people are, are not necessarily uh, at home. And this this takes us to another issue which is the issue of how complex systems have to learn to function differently than they functioned before. So that means so explain you, that. Explain what you mean by that. You have to do things at a distance. You know, the other thing I, I want to tell you is when you get an event like this, what it really does is expose the weaknesses of a complex system. So if you take our healthcare system and you begin to realize that private equity groups have acquired uh, the ability to be involved in pharmaceuticals and in an effort to lower prices to be more efficient, they ship these these manufacturer in fact manufacturing efforts overseas. So now we have a dependence on China and India with a, like I said something like 163 of the critical drugs. Well, that was really a big mistake, uh, and now they're going to go back and try to redo this. I've had a couple senators talk to me in the last last day. 
and they're going to try to get those get those reshored here in our country. But you see, that exposes a, a weakness. It's, that exposes a fragility. Um, and so any complex system that is built, if we're not aware of the fact that it has fragile parts and that you begin to think about how you bring those the strengths around those fragile parts to create a stronger entity, it's like building a bridge. You know, you need to know where your weaknesses are and you need to accommodate it. So I think you're going to find, David, that some of the states are going to have great difficulty figuring out how to sign people up for unemployment. And so it, it will it will be able to demonstrate the fact that, you know, there was an inherent weakness in a complex system. This is kind of what we're going to learn from this. And then the question gets to be, are we able to be able to shift the way we think about doing our work? And even if you think about CNN and you think people having, you know, computers with the, with access to, to video so people can do things from home. You've got right. Congress now beginning to think again, okay, could you do some of the voting in Congress from home remotely? Uh, I mean, in all complex systems, the whole healthcare system, do we have the right healthcare system when we focus on fee-for-service medicine, where you have uh, systems buying more and more doctor's practices, where doctors feel as though they're, they're alienated from, from their own gift of practicing medicine? These are things that are going to have to be carefully thought about and these are the things that we can benefit from long term. Long term. Hard to, right. Hard to, in this moment, to explain to people that this is a learning opportunity because people are going to go through so much pain, right? Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And that's something to be thinking about later. But that's why you get your cabinet together. That's why if you're the president of the United States, you sit in a room with your advisors and your cabinet and you say, what are we not doing? What is it that we're missing? And, and you have to have people be honest with you. Then, you know, if there's a mistake somewhere, go fix it. Yeah. So let me let me just go back. You mentioned communicate. And before I let you go, I want to get that sense. So when you're in a position of power like this and you're representing the people, what? how do you strike the balance when you communicate to the public about providing some optimism and hope, but also being sure you are delivering the realistic, uh, stern messages that everyone needs to hear. H how do you strike that balance? You know, I think to some, to some degree, David, it's a gift. Um, you know, people, there are just leaders who have an innate ability to be able to be, to inspire some degree of confidence. I mean, there are talking points and there's ways to do it. Um, but some people just have the ability to, to be able to speak clearly speak the truth, be able to tell people the seriousness of the matter, but at the same time, be able to impart a, a sense of hope. Uh, I think that people can learn that, they, you know, they can get better and better at it. But I think to some degree, it's, uh, it's kind of a gift. You know, are you able to tell people how horrible this current situation is, but yet you know, we are going to work our way through this day by day. We're not going to play politics. We're, I'm, I'm in charge of, you know, I'm, we're all part of a big family. And yeah, we're going to get through this. And yes, there's going to be hard times. And yes, I'm listening. That, that, that's the way you do it. And either it connects or it doesn't. Do you see examples? Do you see examples during this of that kind of gifted kind of leadership communication out there that you've seen so far? Well, I, I think you're seeing some of these governors that are able to communicate well. I mean, I have not seen many of the press conferences of uh, of Andrew Cuomo, but I hear that, that you know, he's, he's really terrific in how he's doing things. You are living a moment in history.
And every time the National Guard has been called out, they have made every New Yorker proud. And I am proud to be with you yet again. And I'm proud to fight this fight with you. You know, I think Mike DeWine has done a very good job. We, we have a long way to go, uh, but this is uh, your action today is certainly very, very helpful. Uh, helps us uh, move, move forward as we all uh, deal with this crisis together. You know, and people are get, I think people are getting this all over the country. Um, I think what we need to have now in there's so much uncertainty that exists out there, and that's what makes people nervous. And so I think you have to address that. Yes, we have uncertainty. But yes, we, are, we, we have a plan as to how we're going to move forward on antivirals, how we're going to move forward on vaccines. These are people all over the world who are working on all this. We will get through that. We will look at the economic implications. And as we learn more, we're going to understand how parts of our economy can open up again. Uh, I think that it's more of a plan. And there's nothing wrong with saying there still is uncertainty. But why? by the way, here is the plan to resolve some of the uncertainty. And don't make promises. You know, tomorrow it's going to be 72 and sunny. You don't know what tomorrow is going to be exactly. So I don't think that, that providing hope necessarily means that you provide false promises or false hopes. Governor John Kasich, thank you so much for sharing some of your insights, your experience. I think it's really helpful to get uh, this kind of uh, wisdom uh, out there for people to hear. And I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, David. A special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, we urge you to do so. Use the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.